Hi, Eric. Hey, Kate. Very excited about today's episode. We have Dr. Thibodeau, who is the Director of Infectious Disease here at York Hospital. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Thibodeau. We're going to talk about the upcoming flu season. We're going to talk about what we're expecting, how the flu presents, how we treat it, and even how to prevent it. So this should be a can't-miss discussion. Hi, I'm Kate Ford. And I'm Eric Fogg. Welcome to C-Town. In each episode, we will discuss all things York Hospital, past, present, and future, as well as current medical topics to help us navigate that sometimes confusing world of healthcare. But before we get into the interview, let's do a couple updates at the hospital. That sounds excellent. So I don't know if you saw this, but York Hospital Home Care has been named the 2019 Guardian of Excellence Award winner by Press Ganey. Uh, the Guardian of Excellence Award recognizes top performing healthcare organizations that have achieved the 95th percentile or above in patient experience performance. That is excellent, Eric. Yeah, I, my parents have both used York Hospital Home Care, and I can see why they get such uh, high ratings. They do a really great job. They really do. So congratulations to leaders Robin Labonte, Corky Thompson, Katie Dodge, as well as Sylvia Fournier, who's the director of home care, along with the entire home care team for such a huge accomplishment. It's a great team. No doubt. Also, we just got through our holiday season here at York Hospital, and just a big shout out to our Adopt a Holiday Family Program. We had a record-breaking 64 families that received this special holiday cheer thanks to this great program. Those families were located in Elliott, Kittery, York, Sanford, Berwick, South Berwick, and Wells. Really all our communities. Where Did you get a chance to see the Hancock uh, hallway you, that morning? You couldn't walk down you that kind of hallway from like 7 o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock in the morning. All the activity is pretty That's exciting good. to see. Very exciting. It's definitely got the Christmas spirit going around here. Certainly, we want to give a big shout out to the wonderful uh, York Hospital staff who participated uh, in this York Hospital tradition that truly embodies who we are at York Hospital and our vision of loving kindness. So let's get to our interview. I'm really excited about this. I not only consider Dr. Thibodeau a colleague, but I also consider her a friend. I've been lucky enough to work closely with her since she joined the medical staff here at York Hospital in 2012. Uh, Kate, as you said, she does oversee our infectious disease program at York Hospital, but also our vaccination and travel medicine program and is the medical director of our wound care and hyperbaric medicine program. Dr. Thibodeau did her undergraduate training, her master's of public health and medical school at Tufts University in Boston. She is board certified in internal medicine and fellowship trained and board certified in infectious disease. Dr. Thibodeau, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So here's a little fun fact about Dr. Thibodeau. So one of her children, and I think it's her second child, shares a birthday with me. Is that true? That's true. My child? first child. Your first child. My Got first it. Child. I knew it was a moment. <laughs> yeah. So the fun fact is that she never gets to forget my birthday. She right. can always wish me a happy birthday. August 9th. August 9th. That's right. That's right. So let's jump right into this. Let's talk about the flu season. So uh, we were talking a little bit before we started. The Maine CDC is starting to report that here in Maine, we're starting to get a little uptick uh, in flu activity, not like I think other parts of the country are seeing. But what do we know about the flu season so far? So it's a little bit earlier this year. Typically, influenza peaks around December, January, but we were seeing high levels of activity a little bit sooner than previous years. Yeah. Maine has seen a little more, I think they're on the high activity alert compared to some other states, but you know, it's early in the season. There's still more data to collect. Great. So it's still time to get a flu shot? You can still get a flu Certainly. shot? Certainly. Awesome. Yes. 
And it's hard to tell the efficacy of the vaccination, right? We typically don't get that data till into the flu season, but looking at past historical markers, how effective is the flu shot? So on average, influenza vaccine protects you about 50% of the time. That's really an average. The infants, children with weakened immune systems, and the elderly or immunocompromised may not respond to the vaccine as well. So they may be more on the 25 to 30%, whereas the young, healthy, robust individuals without comorbidities may respond more upwards to 70%. So it's not a perfect vaccine, but it's all we have to prevent the flu. So we recommend it. Yeah. So even if you don't get that protection you hope for, is there still value in receiving it by having a uh, kind of not as severe of a, of a reaction to the flu? That's not well studied, but there is theories out there that if you get the influenza vaccine and then subsequently get still unfortunately get sick with influenza, that your disease course may be less severe than if you didn't get the vaccine. Right, right. And one thing that we were talking about earlier too is um, there are two kind of major types of flu, right? When you kind of um, look at it from the big picture, uh, influenza A and influenza B. And we're starting to see maybe a little bit more B this time of year. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between flu A and flu B? Mm -hmm. There's two strains of flu. There's two strains of influenza, influenza A and B. A is typically a bit more severe, requiring hospitalization and can affect the uh, immunocompromised a bit more. Flu B, usually less severe, and we often don't even diagnose it because often patients don't even present with to healthcare facilities and, and get tested. This year, we are seeing a bit more flu B earlier in the season. There's been other seasons in the past where we've seen flu B tail towards the end of the season. The vaccine, what's important is that the vaccine covers strains of A and strains of B, and not all vaccines cover both A and both B, so um, or both strains of A and both strains of B. So there are some um, vaccines that may miss some of the circulating influenza viruses at that time of year. Got it. Got it. So as you know, my line of work is usually on the front lines, working at the walk-in, the emergency room, that type of thing. And people sometimes come in a little bit confused about what may be going on, right? So can you talk a little bit about the difference between a cold, kind of a common run-of-the-mill cold, and having the flu? How do they present either the same or differently? Yeah, a lot of people use the term the flu just as if they were having an illness. And the flu really is a nickname for influenza. So influenza is a virus, and it has a very wide range of presentations. So one could have a very mild presentation and not even see, seek medical attention, whereas others could be very sick and require hospitalization. And there's many deaths. There's up to 50,000 deaths a year from the influenza. So it's, it's not something to, to take lightly. Um, Typically, what the symptoms are, are a fever with respiratory symptoms, high fever usually at the onset, um, runny nose, sore throat, those kinds of symptoms less likely to go along with uh, influenza infection, muscle aches, severe fatigue that is supportive of an influenza virus. But really, the symptoms can overlap quite a bit. 
So if you're immune compromised, if you're um, feeling very ill, it's, it's worthwhile to go in and get tested. Yep. So when patients come in and we're worried about it, we at the walk-ins, we at the emergency room, and some of our outpatient clinics can actually perform testing to okay. confirm whether they have it. It's, uh, I would say it's pretty sensitive, pretty specific. It's a mm -hmm. good test, correct? Our testing has actually improved quite a bit over the past couple of years. We've adopted the PCR technique. Um, it's a polymerase chain reaction. It's just a much more sensitive test for the influenza. And we do it on site right here where we used to have to send it out to the state. It's probably more than 95% sensitive. So if you have influenza it's, and the test is, if, if, you, if you present with symptoms and your test is negative, it's very unlikely that you have influenza. Right. So let's just kind of carry this scenario forward. I'm working at the walk-in and a patient comes in with flu-like symptoms. We go ahead and test them and sure enough, they test positive. Me as a provider or certainly as a patient, what can we ex expect in terms of duration of symptoms, and can we impact that by some sort of treatment modality? Well, the first thing to do is when someone presents to your facility, as you know, in the height of flu season, is we don't want to expose other susceptible individuals. So if you're feeling ill and you're having fevers and respiratory symptoms, you should stay home from work, stay home from school to not expose other um, individuals, or at least wear a mask in that setting. When you walk into the facility to get tested, you should also put a mask on. Treatment is offered. So influenza, like I said, is a virus. Many viruses we don't treat. Most viruses or the common cold from the common cold, uh, we don't treat. But for influenza, there are certain at-risk populations that we can offer antiviral medication to. It doesn't completely treat the flu so that you'll feel better in one to two days. It just decreases the intensity and severity of symptoms and can prevent some complications of flu down the road. So there's certain at-risk populations, like I said, the elderly, the immunocompromised, the very small babies that may benefit from a course of antivirals to treat influenza. Is there any value in someone like me who's in my mid to late 40s, who's otherwise healthy, who has the flu? Is there any benefit to me taking an antiviral treatment for the flu? Because you're a healthcare worker, yes. If you were a community patient who, you know, just came down with the flu, it's probably just better to stay home. Right. And patients sometimes ask me about antibiotics and whether they're effective when they have the flu. You want to talk briefly about that? Sure. So antibiotics are effective for bacterial infections. Like I said, influenza is a viral infection. Typically, we don't treat viral infections with antivirals, except for the influenza in these select cases, like I spoke about. Influenza per se would not respond to antibiotics, but influenza puts someone at risk for complications of bacterial infections, such as pneumonia, sinusitis. In fact, influenza is an inflammatory response, so it revs up the immune system, and there have been cases of other non-infectious complications from influenza like heart attacks and strokes because the inflammatory system is in overdrive. But back to your question about antibiotics, antibiotics would not help the influenza virus infection itself, but potentially could be used if someone were to develop a complication such as pneumonia or sinusitis from uh, the influenza virus infection. Great. Because it's a question that comes up oftentimes with patients time. and there's some confusion about antibiotics and, and antivirals and that sort of thing.
you did the scenario where I tested positive for the flu and, and maybe I was offered antivirals because I'm a healthcare worker. But what if I had, uh, what if I lived at home with an elderly parent who is immunocompromised? Is there any value in prophylactically treating a patient population who may have exposure to the flu? So we're talking about maybe an outbreak in a nursing home. We're talking about uh, loved ones that live with family members that have the flu. Um, yeah. any, any value there? So if someone themselves is a high-risk individual, like they are a transplant patient, they have certain comorbidities, they're elderly or they're an infant, and they have been in contact with someone who's had influenza prior to the diagnosis or within 24 hours or so of the diagnosis, then they should be offered prophylactic antivirals to decrease their risk of acquiring in, of getting infected with influenza because their course could be much more severe than a healthy individual. And like like the treatment with uh, antivirals and how long you've had symptoms, is timing critically important to that kind of prophylactic treatment as well? We've typically said the prophylaxis or treatment actually should be offered within 48 hours, but those studies are actually changing now. And often if someone's sick enough and they get diagnosed with the flu, we often just treat them, especially in the hospitalized setting. In the outpatient setting, I think it's a clinical judgment call. Yep. Um, you and I've talked about this a little bit before, but it's been a year or so. Um, you hear a little bit about a uh, universal flu vaccine somewhere in our future. Yes, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, any, any uh, in your infectious disease world, kind of where are we at in those discussions and, and where, what does this look like? Uh, so the flu is a tricky one. It mutates every year. It travels around the world. So you know, in the other half of the of the um, hemisphere, there's flu at opposite times of year. And so we kind of get an indication of what flu vaccine, what the influenza season is going to be like based on predictions from the other part of the world. It changes subtly each year. We change our vaccine subtly each year to try to match and predict what's going to be coming in the next season. It would be great if the scientists could target a different a different antigen or a different mode, um, uh, a different technique to to target the. I'm not saying this very clearly, yeah, no. but to uh, to really um, to target a different response from the the virus itself, so that it's long term, so that you have long term immunity, like the other vaccines we have out there, measles. Typically, you have lifelong immunity from a measles vaccine, and you don't need to be repeated boosted every year. But yes, it's very difficult for just logistically for families to bring their children in when they're in school every day for to come in to get their flu vaccine. I know at York Hospital, we offer it at the walk-ins, so we make convenient off hours for families, but that's not true everywhere. And it's working parents and families can't always get in to get their flu vaccine and all of a sudden it's January and they realize they haven't gotten their flu vaccine. So it would be great if we had a more effective vaccine and one that lasted longer. Yeah. I don't know where the recent literature stands. I know they're working on it though. I, I could, you got a question burning I over do, there? can yeah. you tell? Yeah. No, go right in. <laughs> so I just wonder, a lot of people talk about, or I guess I'll ask it more generally, the myths that are associated with the flu vaccine. Can yeah. you talk a little? I'm thinking of one is when I get it, uh, when I get the vaccine, I actually get the flu. Yes, yes, so, I see that all the time. So, 
and you may have a mild reaction to the to the vaccine. So what the vaccine does is it stimulates your immune system subtly to mount a response so that if you were to get exposed to the influenza virus, your immune system is already ready to fight it. So you actually want that little bit of a muscle ache, maybe a low-grade fever 24 to 48 hours after you get the vaccine. It's actually not that uncommon, and it tells you that the vaccine is working. It is typically not as severe as if you were to actually get the influenza infection. Okay. Do you know some of the other myths? Or That feels like the biggest one. Yeah. You well, I, I think people think that there's an associated... Um, is it safe, number one? People talk about the other ingredients in the vaccination right. and whether those are safe or not. And, and by I all- I can tell you the mercury content of these vaccines is probably much less than any amount that you would get in the food you're eating. That's right, that's right. Uh, the other is the efficacy, which we touched on earlier and, and, and that sort of thing. So I, I think the question is, is there really, is there a percentage of the population that should not get the flu shot out there? Is there- so allergic yeah. component. So anyone can have an allergic reaction to any drug or any vaccine we give. Having said that, I saw someone last week who had had angioedema, which is one of the scariest uh, symptoms you can see as an emergency room provider or any kind of clinician where someone can um, have a reaction to any kind of drug or vaccine where they have tongue swelling, throat swelling, and require uh, ventilation. So I had a patient who had this uh, one hour after she had received the flu vaccine. She did not require hospitalization, but she required some heavy-duty um, steroids to calm down that inflammatory allergic reaction. She was so invested in getting the influenza vaccine because she lived in a community, that an elderly community, where there were so many other people who were also getting... Um, could potentially give her the infection and vice versa, that she took the risk and she pre-treated herself with some antihistamines and steroids and we gave it to her anyway and we observed her and she went over to the emergency room for an hour and sat there and she was fine. So That's dedication. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. anyone can have, that's an, uh, an anecdote, but anyone can have a severe allergic reaction. So you always have to weigh the risks and benefits. They do say... The Center for Disease Control has updated guidelines on egg allergy because many of the influenza vaccines are manufactured with egg components. And even if you have a severe egg allergy, they talk about risk of that slight chance of reaction to a very small component of the egg uh, protein that's placed in the vaccine versus the risk of having a severe influenza illness. So you just have to have the discussion with the healthcare provider in terms of what your, your risks are. And in terms of, of different types of flu vaccinations, there's one that um, I think some people find attractive, the nasal spray one, yeah. that last year was not recommended, the year before it was, this year it's recommended, I think, if they otherwise would not get right. the flu vaccination. Talk about its sure. efficacy. Sure. It's come in and out of vogue over the past decade or so, and it has shown to, um, it, let me back up to say that it is a live vaccine. So there are some patients that you would caution and you wouldn't use it in. Uh, the pediatric population, I believe they have to be two years old to yep. receive it. Uh, 
and I think it's studied up to the age of 50. So it's for patients between two and 50. It's effectiveness that was a concern. Sure. So they showed that it was less effective than the traditional intramuscular vaccine. So they pulled it from the market the past couple of years. They reintroduced it last year and this year, still thinking that the efficacy might be a little bit less. So if you're going to if you're not going to get a flu vaccine, sure, get the nasal vaccine. But if you're if you want to get the best protection, you can get the intramuscular. Yeah, it's great for kids because then they don't Needle have to get a shot every that. year. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. So um, this year you worked with Megan, um, who is our employee health nurse, and that was her first year doing right. it. She was our um, communication source from the caregivers side of things and the um, volunteers as well. So how did that go this year, working with someone who was new to the... Oh, Megan is great. She's very organized and on top of everything. York Hospital actually does very well in our employee vaccination rates. It's one of uh, a statistic we have to report to some of our reporting agencies is how well our employees are vaccinated against influenza. And we typically score above 90%, which is the threshold. So she, I don't remember the exact statistic this year, but I am quite sure we were above that benchmark. Yeah, she did that's a great segue into why is that so important? And, I, and it's not because our employers don't want us to miss work, right? Um, <laughs> in terms of vaccinating our, our staff, right? It's, it's bigger than that. It's more about oh, it's, protection of our patients correct. and whatnot. We work with the most susceptible patients, especially the hospitalized patients, the cancer patients, those patients that if they were to get influenza infection, they could be severely ill. So for us, we may not, if we're a healthy, healthy healthcare worker, then we may not have a severe illness, but often influenza can be transmitted prior to the onset of symptoms. So someone may come to work and not realize that they're incubating influenza and they may spread it to susceptible individuals that despite them even receiving the vaccine, which is not 100% protective, could receive the, could get infected with influenza. So, so how long are we in this flu season for? What's the typical timeline of the flu season? Um, when does it wrap up and end? So the height of the flu season, you know, we typically start seeing cases in October, November. It starts to uptick. December, January is the height of the season. But February, March, even into April, sometimes we see some some. Influence. I think last year was one of those seasons where we kept pushing it, it back. Right? Right. Yep. The last couple of years, we typically, you know, we typically say still vaccinate and still um uh, protect yourself and think about the flu, discuss it, test for it, you know, until our numbers start to peter out. Yep. Yep. May 15th. Was it? Maybe. It was, yep. uh, I just remember the emails yep. pushing yeah. it back and we were still, as a matter of fact, um, little trivia, we had a mini outbreak in the Sanford area in July last year. We had mm -hmm. several reported cases of influenza in the Sanford community in July. And that's a typically a difficult, different strain than what we see during our winter season. So that's typically from, you know, the other part of the world. They, the CDC tracks all of these very closely and they kind of follow every month what, um, it's really interesting actually, if anyone's interested, they have all these great graphics and weekly reports of what's going on in which country you can look at your state and you can really track what's going on and, um, and uh, how we're comparing to previous years as well. It is one of those surveillance type diagnoses, right? So there are several, and we won't ask you to name all of them, but uh, when we have a positive flu test, that automatically gets reported to the state as part of that kind of monitoring Correct. standpoint. Yep. Yeah, we report, we send them all to the state, and then the state further on a national level has some sentinel sites that they collect data from, and they further make predictions based on that. Awesome. 
Was there any other important take-home messages that you wanted to kind of lay out? To anything? I think vaccination is the is really the the big thing. We it's really the only thing we have to prevent flu, uh, besides washing your hands and covering your cough. One question I receive every year is timing of vaccination. They've studied this as well. So if you get the vaccine, the immunity from that vaccine will last about six months. So you don't want to get it too early, but you also don't want to wait too late. So you want to have yourself covered during the height of the season. So typically, the CDC recommends that you're vaccinated by the end of October. And what's that lag? You get your vaccination, and when do you kind of get that kind of full benefit? Two weeks, really, to get the full response. It'll gradually build up to that level, but by two weeks, you should have the full response. Excellent. Excellent. And then the last piece that I wanted to to bring home is that influenza vaccine is, while it's not very effective, it is, the vaccine prevents more influenza infections than all other vaccine preventable illnesses combined. So even though people don't think the flu is a big a big deal, it's actually more effective than you think. So what I'm going to take away from that is if you have if you've not gotten your flu shot, still plenty know. of time to get it. Um, we're in for what looks like a decent flu season from what we can tell so far. We're a little earlier, so mm-hmm. that could tell us that we might have a have a pretty good flu season. So this has been incredibly helpful and uh, we thank you for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge. This was excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Excellent. So that was an excellent discussion we just had with Dr. Thibodeau. What was anything kind of jump out at you in terms of- I just uh, found her very um, knowledgeable about the subject. She presented the facts nicely and clearly. Not a lot of guessing there. So Dr. Thibodeau is somebody I have on speed dial on my phone, someone who I text regularly working in the walk-ins. We see a variety of infectious disease challenges, and uh, she's certainly my go-to resource for anything infectious disease, so really lucky to have her. Very lucky. So upcoming on uh, future um, podcasts, we have some really interesting guests coming in. Uh, We're going to be speaking uh, with uh, members from our older adult program coming up in the next uh, few weeks, so that should be really exciting. We also have Dr. Kinsler coming in talking about um, the OB program here at York Hospital and the new centering program. So that should be excellent as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of C-Town. We hope you found it of interest and would love to hear from you about topics you'd like to learn more about. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find episodes by clicking C-Town button on the homepage of yorkhospital.com. By listening to this podcast, you're agreeing not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own provider for any medical issues that you may be having. C-Town is a production of Darcy Creative in a collaboration with York Hospital. Copyright 2020.